This is the Mitch Barnhart Podcast. Now from Lexington, here's the Athletics Director for the University of Kentucky, Mitch Barnhart. Welcome back to the, the podcast, Mitch Barnhart Podcast here at the University of Kentucky. It's a pleasure to always welcome in friends that uh, we've worked with over the years. And uh, we welcome today the Athletic Director at the University of Alabama, Greg Byrne, who uh, I've known Greg for an awfully long time and worked with him on a couple of different occasions and uh, one of the great professionals in, in the business of college athletics and, uh, and has an opportunity to lead one of the legendary programs in the country at the University of Alabama. So, Greg, welcome aboard. Thank you, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. We're very excited about this. Oh, good. Well, we're, we're glad to do it. We've sort of started these last year and, and uh, did not get the opportunity to, to venture into the world of other athletic directors as much as we wanted to. We sort of spent some time with our our folks here at UK, and uh, this year we're, we're branching out and going to some other places. So uh, we had your your old baseball coach and, and, and successor at uh, one of your successors at Mississippi State on last time and John Cohen, and so you're, you're following uh, – his his advice and 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 uh, words. So we'll uh, see where we go. But uh, start. Why don't you start us out just briefly and uh, give us sort of the the bio of the journey to get to the University of Alabama and and how and you and Regina got there. Sure. Well, a lot of it involved in the Barnhart family. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in college athletics, as you know, and uh, you know we we didn't hunt, we didn't fish, we went to ball games growing up in, in a few different spots uh, through through the country and. Uh, when I was about uh, 12 years old, my dad hired an intern at San Diego State named Mitch Barnhart and, uh, and met his new wife, Connie Barnhart. And, mm-hmm. uh, he shortly uh, afterwards went to Oregon and he took, uh, uh, he took you with him uh, and put, put you in the Portland office, if I remember correctly. Correctly, yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, might as well get it out of the way early. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we knew we were going to have a, a lasting impression on on each other's lives when he took me to uh, my first rock concert when my when my dad didn't want to go, yeah. um, and so uh, it kind of it kind of went from there. Uh, and so you know, I uh, I grew up around it, paid attention to it very early on, and uh, was fortunate uh, out of school. Uh, I I interned for the Fiesta Bowl, and then Oregon actually hired me back. Uh, my dad was then at Nebraska. And uh, they gave me an opportunity in fundraising, and then Oregon State goes and hires a young athletic director named Mitch Barnhart, and uh, and I couldn't stand Oregon State. I wanted them to lose <laughs> it. You know the old joke about if, if Oregon State was playing Iraq or Iran, you maybe root for them. Um, and uh, and you know Mitch, you gave me an incredible opportunity when I was only twenty six years old to lead the fundraising efforts, and and we have such great memories. Absolutely, of just the dire situation we were in, and. We didn't know any better, but just to go figure it out in a lot of ways. And, and uh, you know, I, I think the highlight was obviously getting the football team to its first bowl game in 26 years, I think was the number. And, mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, and then you hired Dennis Erickson, and, and we got, and he got the team to the bowl game. And then, you know, the next year after that, we got the Fiesta Bowl and beat Notre Dame. Yep. And uh, it was really a, a special time. And, and, uh, and so you gave me an incredible opportunity. And then you went to Kentucky and, and, uh, and, took me along with you and gave me an opportunity to uh, get to the Southeastern Conference and, and get to be in a wonderful place like Lexington, Kentucky and with, with a great fan base in the university and rich tradition. Um, and then, 
you know, we may talk about this a little bit. I got out of athletics for a little bit because uh, uh, I had a lot, I still continue to have a lot of weaknesses, but, you know, one of my biggest weaknesses was, was my patience at that age. And um, No one else has that problem. So right? I, you're I, the, you're the only one. You're the only one that has problem with patience. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and so I got, got out of athletics, and, you know, it was one of the best things I've ever done in a lot of ways because it made me appreciate um, what we got to be a part of on a daily basis and the young people and the passion of the band and the college environment. And so I, I quickly realized how much I missed it. And um, Larry Templeton at Mississippi State gave me an opportunity to get back in. A few months later, he announces his retirement. And about, you know, within a year, I'm on the athletic director at Mississippi State when I was only 36 years old and and, uh, and was very fortunate for that. And, and then Arizona came calling. Um, Cedric Dempsey had a lot to do with that and, and, and uh, really struggled with the decision and uh, decided to, to go to Arizona and uh, and then went from there to, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the time there very much. It was seven years. Of their resources are a big issue out there uh, and uh, really was tired of the end of seven years and, and uh, Alabama came calling and you know, a chance to get back to the Southeastern Conference to get to a place like the University of Alabama, which I had greatly admired as long as I can remember. And uh, and then you get a chance to work with Nick Saban and, and, you know, be around our program and all 21 of our sports. It's, it's really been a, it's been a very interesting, uh, rewarding, challenging journey. Uh, but a lot of it goes back to, to you, Mitch, and, and I, you know, you know, obviously I learned a ton from my dad, but I learned a ton, and my mom too, because she was, she was a great leader, but I also, I learned a ton from you and Connie both, and forever grateful for that. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, uh, Greg, you've, uh, you've had a heck of a run and done some amazing things. As you talked about, you, you left college athletics and you went into a private in- industry, private company, and, and had an opportunity to, you said you, you said the reason you came back was you, you realized what you missed, but, but talk about what you might have learned. What are some of the skill sets that you, as you left the world of college athletics, sometimes we flip that and we see people coming from the world of business to college athletics. I think it's unique that you had an opportunity to go experience something in business and then say whether you liked it or not, what did you learn from that and what did you bring back to the industry of, of college athletics that might be applicable? Well, you know, it was really, it struck me one day. I, I worked for a guy named Rose Frazier, who you and I both know, a really good donor to Kentucky. His daughter actually went to Alabama, and he supports Alabama, too. Um, and we we got involved in a technology company, and they were doing a lot of great things. But it, I just, I had no passion for it. Mm-hmm. And I learned that, that what I wanted to be a part of, just like just like a lot of us in college athletics, is something that we were passionate for, and that, and it's not about how much money you make or car you drive or anything like that. It's about whether you feel like you're making a difference in people's lives and have a passion for what you do. In college athletics, I realized once I left that, that it did those things. I feel like whether it's the young people in our program or our fans or the people part of our university, we have a chance to, to serve other people and make an impact. And, and what's amazing when you can take that focus off yourself and you do those things for other people, how much more rewarding it is than what we get to do. Now, with, with that, though, um, we were at this big conference in Chicago when I was out of athletics, and uh, one day we took the afternoon off, and we went to a Chicago White Sox regular season game. The team was average at best. It wasn't a big, meaningful game. 
And I remember the, the people that I worked with said, man, that was one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to be a part of. I got to go to a baseball game and, and be there with my, with my, uh, coworkers. And it's one of the, it's one of them. And they were just blown away by it. I'm like, man, I was kind of bored sitting here at the regular season major league game thinking, man, I, I wish, I wish the, I missed the, the big games of Kentucky, the big games of Oregon State and Oregon and the experiences that you and I had been a part of together. Right. And, uh, and it just was like, man, what am I doing? And, uh, and so it was interesting during that time. I learned who my friends were. And three of my best friends through the whole thing were Mitch Barnhart, Scott Strickland, and John Curry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were my friends, whether I was the fundraiser at Kentucky or whether I was selling legal software. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that meant a lot to me. And also, as you know, Mitch and some of our friends have gone through tough times. I've tried to make sure I stay and, and connect with them, even, you know, even just so they know that they're my friend beyond what they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it was, was there a specific any business principle that you looked at and you said, you know what, that that translates to what we're trying to do, what we need to be doing in college athletics. Anything you picked up on that in that moment, Greg, besides the passion piece? I think it's so important. People get locked into stuff that they just yeah. don't, don't enjoy. But is there something, anything else in that that you might say translates? I, I grew a lot from the fiscal management standpoint, understanding the business side of it, because as you know, working for you, I was very much managing the fundraising side of it and revenue generation. And so I got to learn more about the internal side of it, uh, with, with the role that I had managing, managing budgets. Uh, at the same time too, you learn that you got to sell. Yeah. And, and I think that goes with whatever you do. We all have the sales part of, of our responsibilities. And so I actually learned and grew on how to sell something, uh, because I, it was something I didn't have a ton of passion about. And I had to, I had to put that to the side and say, this is, this is supporting my family. This is, uh, this is, uh, obviously trying to help this business grow and develop and the people who are, are dependent on that. So learning the, the learning how to sell on a level that I never had before. So both those things I think stuck out for my time. So as part of the, the transition in your career, um, you went coast to coast and you, you and I've had the, the, Good fortune. I think it's been good. I, I, my children yeah. were raised in, in Knoxville for a period of time. They went to Corvallis, and they've come back to Lexington. And I and I think them going coast to coast was good for their development, and, and I think it was good for our family. Uh, there was other pieces to that. I'd be curious, Greg, as you looked at it, you've been coast to coast a couple times in a couple different ways. What do you see, and, and clearly I think you've got two boys and, and very proud of those guys and um, so as, as you development of your family is one thing, as you watch the, the differences, what are the differences as college athletics? I mean, everybody thinks this big world of college athletics is exactly the same from coast to coast or is they're all, everybody's playing. It's different, isn't it? And, and walk through some of the differences and how you look at that, the, the lens of which that might be different. It is very different there. You know, I, I was watching, uh, Saturdays in the South, the history of SEC football that was on the other night on the SEC network. Yeah. And it, and a lot of it goes back to the civil war and the impact that college sports has had on, uh, the the Southern part of the country that, that, so it's multi-generational. And Mm -hmm. so here tomorrow, it's be Saturday at Bryant Denny stadium. We'll have three generations of families at the game. I think, when, and that, that we need that to continue uh, moving forward. I think you and I saw out West, sometimes it's first generation. Maybe if we're lucky, it's two generations. 
Um, and I remember, you know, when Tavita Moala uh, picked up the fumble against yeah. Cal at Oregon oh, yeah. State, running in the end zone, and you and I are coming down from the press box because we know the students are coming. They're going to storm the field because it was the first winning season at Oregon State in 26 years. And I remember off to my right as we're going down the stairs, I saw a, a, a young man who was probably 13, 14 years old, maybe 12, his father and I assume the, the boy's grandfather. Mm-hmm. All three of them were crying because in that boy's lifetime, that was the first time Oregon State had a winning season. The father had pent up frustrations for 26 years, as did the grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I think there aren't as many of those types of relationships in the Western part of the country that impacts people's same passion for athletics. Mm-hmm. And here when you're in Alabama or you're in Kentucky, you, you identify you know, when, when you meet somebody for the first time, I, I jokingly say, they'll ask you three things. You know, who's your kin? Um, are, are you Baptist or Methodist? And, and uh, are you are you Alabama or Auburn or from Mississippi or your state or Ole Miss or Kentucky? It's more big blue, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but even there's there's the Louisville impact too, and mm-hmm. I think that helps define who we are in each of our states. Mm-hmm. That those questions don't get asked as much out west, and, and so I think one of the things the Pac-12 has to somehow find a way to tap into for the for the the, the good of their ability to be competitive for the long haul. They got to find a way to help to identify that more, and they're in pro markets. A lot of them. Well, one of the things when I, in my seven years in Tucson, we talked all the time publicly about that the closest thing to an SEC fan base in the West, I, I thought were two places. I thought it was Arizona. I thought it was Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, and Oregon State has a little bit of that too, but it's, but it's important for that multi-generation connectivity with our universities. Mm-hmm. But, and they, they miss that at times, Mitch. And, and, yeah. and I think what's happened with television too, you know, we've, we've, we've jumped into this both feet in. And, uh, you know, I think that's impacting the ability for generations to get connected and be on the campuses, and that concerns me long-term. And I think it's something we need to look at as we're going through our future television agreements in the SEC and, and what, what's ahead with that to make sure we don't lose sight of the importance of having people on our campuses. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you're, you talked, you've talked a couple times about your time in Lexington and your time at Kentucky. Um, you've, you've journeyed... Uh, I've only been at two SEC schools. You've had the opportunity to work at three different SEC schools. Um, hit a couple things, Greg, if you would. Reflect on your life and your time in, at Kentucky and your time in the SEC and the friendships and the, the, the interesting – I think there's nowhere more unique than the SEC when all of a sudden friends become uh, – still remain friends, but they become competitors – Sure. And, and we have seen that. Right. You and I have seen that full bore with the folks in our league. And then, but the 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 it's an SEC family. It's unique. Talk about Kentucky and the SEC and and what makes both of those things special in your journey and 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 how you look at that. Well, Kentucky was the introduction, and I always remember Mitch. You picked up Regina and me at the airport in Lexington. You drove us over to Memorial Coliseum. And I, we went in that back door by the ticket office. I don't know how it's structured now. Mm-hmm. And we walked into Memorial Coliseum, and I, and there were all the banners on the wall mm-hmm. of national championships and SEC championships for Kentucky men's basketball. And I was like, holy cow. And what, as a kid watching Sam Bowie play and it being out in Oregon and watching the Blazers draft Sam, and, and I love Sam. He's such a 
quality guy instead of Jordan because they had Drexler. Um, and, you know, so I knew watching those teams up close and, and say, man, I can't believe I get to be a part of this incredible place. And Lexington was such a, um, was the, the people that are so good and the, and the bluegrass and the, and the beauty of it. You know, we, we started going to Southland Church with you and the impact that John Weiss and Mike Bro had uh, on us and, and our boys growing up. Um, we, you know, we lived out in uh, Beaumont and, and we had the big backyard and just the sense of community that was there. Uh, was was just a wonderful thing, and we still have our friends from Kentucky today. Whether you know, it's obviously you and Connie, and you know, we we still stay in touch. I still stay in touch with Griggs Powell and Brett Setzer, and hmm. and his daughter just graduated from Alabama last month. And hmm. it's it, you know, the, the people are wonderful people. And then when you hired and and you, you took a ton of shots at it, and you stood firm when you hired Rich Brooks, who obviously you and I knew, but. But I knew even better because my dad was an AD at Oregon, mm-hmm. and uh, and Rich Brooks probably since uh, obviously Coach Stukes is doing a wonderful job there, but really since Bear Bryant was probably the best football coach Kentucky ever had, mm-hmm. um, and he did it under very trying times. And mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I know we can talk about this now, but the, when the, it was such a tough time that that uh, he took over from the probation, um, and you know, the ditch mentioned Rich bumper stickers and oh, shirts yeah. and to see the success that was there that you that I learned so much from you and I learned so much from Coach Brooks at that time that there's going to be some challenging waters and, and you're going to have some headwinds that you don't know if you're going to overcome at times and man almighty you did Mitch and right. so did Coach Brooks and, and Kentucky football and Kentucky athletics were better for that mm-hmm. and uh and so I remember those tough times too and and uh and I felt the pressure, and I wasn't the guy on the front lines. And so it made me have, especially now that I've been in the chair for a dozen years or so now, it's, it makes you reflect back and say, those are some times I learned a lot. And, and Kentucky taught me a lot of those things. Um, and so we, we're forever grateful. Regina and I have fought very fond memories of Lexington, and we always will. And But then it introduced me to the SEC and made me realize, especially when I went back to the Pac-12, um, it's there's different ways to do it. One of the reasons why the SEC is so successful, I talked about the multi generation and the passion and the history, but the Southeastern Conference office, and, and I can only compare to when I first started paying attention to Roy Kramer, to Mike Slides, and now to Greg Sankey, they've done a, a really good job of keeping the focus on the institutions. And you know, they're, they're, I think there's conflict sometimes at the offices in downtown Birmingham, which is only 60 miles from our campus. But I know for a fact with Greg Sankey, and I believe it was Sly, and I believe it was Kramer, that's just where the office was located. They did a wonderful job of trying to balance the 12 institutions or 14 institutions like we have now. The rent is a dollar a year. There's, there's not a lot of flash and sizzle with it. It is all about giving resources to the institutions. So we can go out and be as competitive as we can be nationally. And I think all the other conferences can learn from that and, and see what a role model the SEC is in trying to make sure it's about the student athletes, it's about the university. It's, and, it, and if those things are strong and doing well, then the Southeastern Conference is going to do well. And, uh, and I learned that from my, our time in Lexington. And you've got some significant friendships in this league, and you you compete against those folks 
almost every day you find yourself in competition with somebody. That's a, it's a little unique, isn't it? It is. It is. I remember being at Mississippi State and uh, and Kentucky came down to play, and you and I gave each other a hug before before the game, and and uh, and then I went to Coach Brooks after the game because I felt like I needed to, <laughs> and uh, and he he was wound up and and uh, he had just you know. He told me what was on his mind that time and, and all that, man. And so competing against your friends can be challenging at yeah. times. And so I think the important part I learned that day, go see him before the game. Shake their hand and say hello <laughs> for 10 seconds and, and move on. And, and obviously, you know, the, the deep friendships that you and I have, that Scott Strickland, that we all have with Scott and John Cohen. And, you know, it's, it's a special bond. That doesn't take place in many other places. We all want to beat each other on game day. There's no doubt about it. But we also realize that, and we're going to make decisions that are right for our institutions. But I also know when you're going to speak in the AD room, when Scott's going to speak in the AD room, when John's going to speak in the AD room, because of the trust that I have for all of you, I'm going to give it even more more credit to whatever you're saying because I know that you're, you're trying to do the right thing for your institutions, but balance that with what's right for the Southeastern Conference and what's right for our different games that we're involved with. And I think we all need to find that right balance in what we're doing going forward as our, our industry is evolving. Greg, I think that's so important. You know, we, we're in a room with, with 13 other guys and uh, and you uh, folks that lead these programs. And the thing that uh, having been in this league for you know, 33, 34 years now, um, the thing that I think has been the, the bed bedrock or whatever you want to call it, the, the hallmark of the league has been the room has been strong and tight. And I say that in, in respect to all the decisions that we make, we've never put institutions sort of out there by themselves. We've gone out together on, on major decisions. And I want to, I hope that that's the direction that, that we continue to move as a league as a, and I think Greg is, is so, and Greg Sankey, Commissioner Sankey, has done an incredible job of, of maintaining that that thought process. Leagues that begin to dissect and, uh, or I mean, not, not just sort of divert themselves and start to, to make ins- institutional decisions rather than conference decisions, I think it uh, it puts you at risk in, in, in much more difficult circumstances individually. So, But you're right. And um, so as, as we move to Alabama and you're, you're leading one of the legendary programs in, in college football and uh, – you know something with an incredible tradition. You know the just just briefly to talk about what it uh, what it feels like to lead that and and what are the challenges of doing that. Everybody, you know, we've got a similar situation with our basketball program, and people sit there. Oh, that's got to be right. pretty simple, right? And so, what what makes it unique <laughs> to to lead Alabama football? You've got a wonderful coach in Nick Saban, who's uh, obviously a Hall of Famer in in so many respects, and and uh, so just walk through just briefly the the microscope of of that. Yeah, so, well, I always remember, so uh, as, a, as a child, even all the way out in San Diego, uh, I remember the day that Coach Bryant passed away. And, uh, and you know, back then when we when you were early in your career and I'm, and I'm still in school, and, and uh, you know, there was one football game on a week, and oftentimes that was, I'd watch Alabama play whoever they were playing, and, uh, and Keith Jackson and, and uh, would, would often call the game with Coach Burroughs. And, and so when we're at Kentucky and you give us the opportunity to do that, we put, I don't know if you remember, we played Alabama that first year. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we're staying in Birmingham, and I rented a car and drove down to Tuscaloosa as a night game. And I, and back then, was 
when when I was still running, and I ran through campus and downtown to see this incredible place. And and as as the game started that night, I wanted to make sure I was out on the field when the, when the, obviously I was wearing my blue, but I wanted to be out on the field when the Crimson Tide ran out on the field and, and see that for the first time. And so when they they called and you know I'm at Arizona and having the opportunity to come back to the SEC and come to the University of Alabama, it was really a dream come true. Um, and it's it it is a it is it, it's an incredible program. It is a big uh, part of our state's identity and our university's identity, just like it is for, for Kentucky Kentucky basketball. And the passion that's here is, and and the interest that's here is, is something that uh, you're, you're constantly trying to balance and manage and help um, find a way to make sure we're doing it the right way, that we're serving our student-athletes, serving our coaches, serving our fans. And it, it is, you realize as soon as you walk out the door, everything you do is being watched. Your 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 uh, people hang on a lot of the words that you say. I know if you and I send a tweet out, it's going to get dissected a hundred different ways. So your wording of what you do is, is really important. But to feel the responsibility of, uh, that we all have at our institutions, but especially here at Alabama and, and the same thing at Kentucky, we have to balance making sure we honor our past because that's such an important part of what we do. Being very focused on today, whether it's academically, athletically, socially, doing those things the right way, and then at the same time, too, creating that vision for the future and understanding you, you can't be all things to all people and you're going to have to make the decisions that you think are best with the support of your leadership and communicating with them, campus and your trustees, uh, saying this is where we're going to go for the future to make sure we do everything we can to have future success as well. Mm-hmm. And so, as you know, it's better than me. It's a full-time job. It's uh, it's not eight to five. Um, uh, you know, I was here at the office yesterday morning at about 6.15, and, and we had our men's basketball team to our house last night for dinner, and the last one left about 9.15. So it's, it's what, that 15-hour days, well, you know, a lot of six, seven days a week at times. And so you have to, to be committed to that. And, and at the same time, too, balance and take, try to take care of yourself. Um, but it's, it is a, it is a full-time responsibility. And, and one of the things I think, Mitch, is, is you gave me the opportunity to learn and grow and not to say that I got it all figured out because the only thing I got figured out is I don't have it all figured out, but to give me the opportunities to learn and grow so I could be best prepared for this position. And I do think it, it is important in our, in our industry to make sure we have, it doesn't need to be everybody, but to have people in leadership positions that have a broad understanding of intercollegiate athletics and mm-hmm. worked with student athletes and worked with coaches and worked with fan bases and worked mm-hmm. with all the different entities, the NCAAs and the conference offices and the Nikes, the agents and all the, all the different people that you and I deal with on a daily basis. Um, you need that here in Alabama. You need that at Kentucky. And I think that, uh, I think that helps put our, our institutions and then in turn our conferences and our sports hopefully in the strongest position moving forward. So in, in that, in that just a, we've got some a little bit of time left, and I want to make sure that we're, we're respectful of your time. But uh, what you said, I, I always get this. There was a, a wonderful older woman when I went and did a speech up in Columbus, Ohio, at an alumni association, and she, she raised her hand at the end of the deal, and she asked me the question, what keeps you up at night? I think she was anticipating me saying winning and losing, and I didn't give her that answer. What, what keeps Greg Byrne up at night, and, and, uh, and, and what do you think about 
Well, unfortunately, I still sleep pretty well. Um, well that's, but good. I, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, not as good as I used to when I was younger, but I, I think the thing that keeps me up at night is we have so many different entities that we're responsible for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the expectation has become whether, and I think a lot of the time it's unjust, is that when you have issues in your your enterprise, your program, whatever it is, that somehow you're supposed to be able to prevent that. Mm-hmm. And all we can do is educate, train, try to create a culture, but people sometimes forget, you know, I don't know how many total student athletes you have in Kentucky. We have about 650 here at Alabama. Mm-hmm. We have 21 sports. We have 350 employees mm-hmm. and, and a lot of student workers and things like that. You know, they're going to make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. There are going to be issues that come along and all you can do is deal, you can try to, you can educate, train, try to create the culture, but there's still going to be bad things that are going to happen. And, you know, I look back at, at different um, controversies in our industry and it's very rare where it's like the entire organization is, is purposely doing something wrong. Usually it takes just a couple bad apples to ruin the whole bunch. And I do think the great majority of people in our industry are trying to do the right thing. And then when the way the media is today often is like, okay, um, you have the academic issue of some of the campuses where people were doing some things they shouldn't have done with the bribes. I don't think 99% of the people within those departments knew about it. And often including the leadership. Cause sometimes Mitch, you know, sometimes you and I are the last person to find out for a different reason. Um, and so that's, that's the part that at times gives me some restless nights. How do you manage the unmanageable? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and all you gotta, all you can do is continue to go back to your foundation of training, of educating, of having it be an environment where people feel they have the ability to report without, without, uh, um, you know, without being uh, targeted for that. And, and then when you have bad things happen that you deal with it. And at the same time too, I, you know, often the, the, the mob mentality is when somebody does something wrong, well, you got to fire them, you got to get rid of them. And at times you have to do that. But I also know, you know, I'm, I'm going to be biblical here for a second. The Bible says he is without sin shall cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a time we need to take a step back with some of those things in our society as a whole and say, you know what, we're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. And I do think grace and forgiveness and, and compassion is also one wonderful tools to have that I think we all need a little bit too. And and, and I I want I I wanna be try to manage with those things in mind often more so than I do with uh, you know, off with their head with something you know, with whatever miscue somebody does and, and, and trying to find that right balance and protecting the individual, protecting the, the team and then protecting your program, your university, and the community. And that's, that's a, that's a fine line that you walk. Absolutely. And I think that's so, so fair. And, and when you talk about grace, I think that's finding that balance. And there are some times where you do have to move on from some of those mistakes, but some of those times you, you want to let them be teaching lessons and lessons that you grow from. And uh, hopefully there's it's not so much harm done that that can't be done. And you hope for that. And uh, I totally agree with you, Greg, that, that, I think the great, great, great majority of the people in in the industry that we're in is are, are trying really hard to do what's right, and uh, uh, 
I don't think there's a systemic yep, issue. Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate that. So, uh, just real quick, one more one more question, then we'll get into the the, the closing closing quick hitters. Um, I, I've been talking a lot about this thing, I, and I don't know we've coined it at Kentucky or not. We're going to say we did, but uh, uh, a thing called sure. ge- generational leadership, and uh, I truly believe that that my generation. And I'm not sure what generation I am, baby boomer. I think I'm not sure. We're we're down to Generation Z, and and I don't know where we go from there. I don't know what the next one is. Is double A? What do we start back over? I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, um, I truly believe my generation has done a really poor job of helping young people understand what is coming. And so I've really tried to focus hard on how we help them grow into the young people. I, you get that question, Greg? You, I don't know. You get it. Um, what's wrong with young people today? Why do they do things? And, I, and my answer is simply this. We've done a really bad job of leading them. And uh, so uh, our generation has told them that greed is good, that selfish is better, lack of humility, be it's all about me, that kind of stuff. And, and it, I could go on and on. Um, as you look at this thing, you know, if, if, you, could, if you could give a couple pieces of advice um, or you could say best practices or what, what would the thing you'd want to lead to the next generation? What would you like to give them? I think it, you know, and Mitch, I fall short of this at times. Um, I think there, if we can, if we can take the focus off of ourselves and there's media and part of why I think social media is so popular is people love to talk about themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And, and every one of us wants to feel valued. Yeah, I haven't met a person yet that doesn't want to feel valued. And if we can take the focus off of trying to be self-indulgent and again i'd fall short mm-hmm. um and, and instead of trying to have the focus be on serving other people how, how can we serve our spouse how can we serve our children how can we serve our student athletes our fans and it may be you know at a kentucky basketball game that you can't go shake the hand of every single person there mm-hmm. but you engaging them and, and and listening to them and hearing what they have to say that that's going to spread, and they're going to say, "Man, you know, Mitch Barnhart. He's he's a guy that he's a guy that cares about what I have to say. They may not be able to do what I want him to do, but at least he's heard heard what I've said. And that and that could be such a very powerful tool, in my opinion, to where if we do a bunch, if we do a better job of, of, of closing our mouth, using our eyes to look, to read and learn, using our ears to listen and learn, and and." And there's a there's a uh, sign I have here in my office uh, that I've had for quite a while, and it, it's a, a short course in human relations. I'm going to read it to you real quick. It's sure. The six most important words I admit I made a mistake. The five most important words you did a good job. The four most important words. What is your opinion? Uh, the three most important words is if you please. The two most important words. What do you think they are, Mitch? Don't know. Start with the T. Thank you. Thank you, exactly. I put you on the spot, I'm sorry. Um, but you're right, thank you. And the one most important word is we, and the least important word is I. Huh. And when we can collectively work together, um, have collaborative leadership, make people feel that they're valued for what they do, and at the same time, too, encourage them to try to create value in other people, man, I think that can solve a lot of issues that we have. Mm-hmm. And, and again, when I say 
when I say the only thing I got figured out is I don't have it all figured out. I really mean that, and and I and I fall short of that at times there too, where I haven't listened as well. Maybe I've said the word I too much, um, and and it's a, it's a constant battle. But it, but uh, I think if we can teach those skills to our younger generations, uh, you know, I think we got a bright future ahead of ourselves. But a lot of that is is checking our own ego at the door. It's awesome stuff, man. It's really good, and uh, and you do a great job of that. I'm sure your young people are are better for it. We uh, like you. Last night we had a dinner at our house. We had our SAC, our SAC leaders, our student athlete advisory committee leaders at our house last night for dinner. And what amazes me is how how brilliantly smart they are. They're really gifted and they're really smart young people. And and to, to engage them in the conversations and to listen to what they have to say um, was impressive. And uh, so I do know that with some nourishment of some of the things that you're talking about and the things that they already have we can build a really cool generation of leaders and uh, that's what i want to try and get to as we as we not only compete and we also do some things academically but we're creating a really cool generation of leaders and and uh that hopefully gets us to a better spot well you, you know okay you know who taught me to have teams over to the house who's that you oh yeah okay well, you uh, did i uh, learned from that my, no. my, my parents my parents would do it some but, yeah. but you and connie were the best at it no. and uh and so I just, and my, I watched my parents have the donors over to the house. And so we do those things too. Well, it, it, again, it, we got to learn from each other. It always ensured that it always ensures that we try and keep our house clean and have really good meals. So that's really a good thing. I make sure I, I eat well. But uh, no, but it, I, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, the, the, the kids, they, some of the stuff they eat is not the healthiest stuff. Uh, they always we always try and give them what they want to eat, and it's um, some of that stuff is not good from for an aging body here. So, but. Uh, I appreciate that. Right. So, so five quick hitters, and I think I know the answer to a couple of these. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. They're just, they're real easy ones. These are just favorite food. What's the favorite food? If Greg Bird can line up and eat his favorite meal, what would it be? Oh, I like so many different things. Um, probably uh, green corn stick and tamales from El Bravo in Phoenix. I knew that was coming. I knew it'd be Mexican food. I wasn't sure what, what where it'd be from, but I knew it'd be that because I remember that very, very well. Favorite book? Yep. What's your favorite book? Well, obviously, uh, I've learned a ton from the Bible over my lifetime. Yeah, I, I just, absolutely. I, I, I one, uh, well, I flew over the cuckoo's nest, reading that in high school in the Great Gatsby, and then, and then I just uh, read Ego is the Enemy, and I also Kill a Mockingbird is just such a powerfully good book. Awesome favorite hobby? Oh, you know, I, I. I like to spend time with my family, but I also I do enjoy playing golf. But I don't play here as much as I'd like. Yeah, I, I know you. We've had some we've had some games on the course. That's been fun. I always always enjoy that. We don't get to do that much anymore. But uh, I knew you love the game and and uh, some really great places to play. Words to live by. If yeah. you had had a quick phrase, I love the thing you just gave around the generational leadership piece we talked about. But if you had just a couple quick uh, words, what would they be? What words to live by? What do you try and live by? Well, I, I, I want to, I want to live by uh, uh, humility, um, and I want to, I want to try to impact people in a positive way. Mm-hmm. It, and it doesn't matter if it's somebody walking down the street. I, I, you know, I walk through campus and I, I say hi to almost everybody, mm-hmm. and some of them are startled, like, "What are you doing?" And when you lived out west, it was even more. Mm-hmm. But man, I feel better after I engage with people, and, and that may be the only smile that somebody gets for that day. And so, um, you know. I, I want to try to make a positive impact on the people that I come across in my life, whoever they are. Cool. 
Last one's pretty easy one for you, and I think I know the answer to this one too. Most influential person in your life, and why? Well, it's it's it's, it's my mom and dad, mm-hmm. um, and they they just they gave me such great leadership uh, role models to have. They they they, they served other people. Uh, they both came from blue collar backgrounds, and they taught me the value of hard work. and And uh, you know, it's it, it they gave me the the opportunity to learn and grow about college athletics. So definitely my mom and dad, you know, Regina has through 25 years of marriage. Uh, she's just, she's the best and has been on this journey with me. Um, and then, you know, you and Connie had a mm-hmm. tremendous impact on us, Mitch, and, and yeah. we're, we're forever grateful for it. Yeah, you kind of say so, man. You've been, uh, it's been fun to watch uh, you, you grow in your career and we've loved watching your family and, and where they've, they've gotten to. And, uh, and so, uh, appreciate what you do in, in the industry that we work. So uh, appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us today, Greg. As always, look forward to seeing you in the meetings and, and uh, when we compete against each other. Uh, but uh, value the friendship uh, very, very much. And thank you f- for all you do for for uh, the enterprise of college right, athletics and young people. It's an honor to be on here with you. And, and I just thank you again for everything that you've done for us, for me and our family. And and uh, you know you're one of the great leaders in our industry, and your AD of the Year award that you got last year was so well deserved. And yeah, you could, you could have had it for many other years besides that. Well, thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. We thank you for your time, Greg Byrne, on the Mitch Barnhart podcast. Until next time, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to catching up to you later. <laughs>